Okay. Today I know what I know and what I don't know, and I know when to ask for help. Thank you to this program. And I don't know about this mechanical stuff. My name is Renee, and I am a compulsive overeater. And um, <clears throat> I thank the um, Ida and the committee for asking me to share. I, um, you guys have given me so much, and I, um, I have a lot to share back with what has been given to me. And my experience has been that as I've applied what has been told to me to my life, my life has just continued to get better, both on the outside and on the inside. And I, I am truly grateful for that. I have a life today that um, I didn't really have a lot of dreams. I don't know why, but I, before I came out, I didn't have dreams. I was so busy surviving. Um, I didn't have time to dream, but um, I've got a good life today. I've got a good marriage um, with a good man because I waited. Um, so I had grown up a little bit in this program to pick him, or God picked him for me, I think. Um, I have a good relationship with all of my children. Um, okay, it's coming back. And, um, oh, they told me to talk into it. Um, and it's back. Back up, okay. Um, see, another thing I did, um, I went to a function a few weeks ago that had nothing to do with the program, and most of the people attending were therapists. And one of the women I met, okay, somebody tell me what to do. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm going to try once more. Um, one of the women attending uh, was a therapist that specialized in addiction recovery. And Oh, now it's not working. Oh, it is? Okay, cool. cool. Um, and um, she has a lot of people that, from, that come in with um, eating problems. And she said, why do you think it's worked for you? And I'll answer that question in a minute. Let me tell you my story. I came in um, November 15, 1977. And I started my abstinence on March 27, 1978. So I've been abstaining just over 25 years. I came in. Um, thank you. Um, I came in three days before my 18th birthday. So I've not only abstained, but I've just kind of grown up um, through the program. And for that, I am very grateful. Um, but the, one of the things that I said to this woman, which I think would be is helpful, is I said, well. First of all, I came into the program when there was a food plan um, that gave me a structure and it taught me to not eat the foods that set up the craving for me. Second of all, I was raised, um, my mother is a recovering alcoholic. She got sober when I was 12 and I had been, I had gone to AA and Alateen meetings with her and I just got it. That with an addiction, and when you're recovering from addiction, it is life and death. It's not just, oh, I had a little too much to eat. If ever I have a weird, whenever my relationship to food gets weird, when I'm thinking about food more, when I take it very seriously, I talk about it, I write about it, it's not just, oh, I ate a little too much. I mean, to me, I've always taken this disease and my recovery very life and death and very seriously. I've made it number one in my life. Um, that's the other thing that I was told is that this had to be number one. And um, that meant at times doing things and asking things about my food. It meant um, my husband never knew me when I was overeating. He, <laughs> he thinks, oh, you're fine now. You don't need to go to those meetings. And, and I've said, you know, I've explained to him the concept of the disease and, and that um, it says in the big book that once we um, have lost the power to choose, we will never get it back. And I subscribe fully to everything that the big book says. When I read that book, 
It just completely applies to me. And at age 16, I decided vehemently that I was not going to be like my mother, the alcoholic who had caused me so many problems. And I was probably eating when I made that decision. And little did I know that I'm very much like her. It's just that I, I used it with food. And um, <clears throat> when I was born, I... Uh, um, my father was manic depressive and would come home from work every night and, and go to bed, eat dinner with us and go to bed. My mother started drinking alcoholically when I was in the womb and my sister is 20 months older and um, pretty much has always been kind of pathologically jealous of me and has is, is really not wanted much to do with me. So at a very young age I decided I had to handle it myself and I couldn't trust anybody or anything and so this became my god. And um, I, in many ways, I was able to kind of function. The other thing that became my God was your approval. And I decided that if I was a good little girl and not cause any slack, then Mom would be happy. Because if Mom wasn't happy, the love would be withdrawn. And um, there would be no, you know, I, so I set about trying to change me in order to control the environment and make everything out there so that I would feel okay. And and um, it really was uncomfortable. And on page 52 in the big book, they talk about the bedevilment. And if you're like me and you had a hard time, by the time I got here, it, well, it took me four and a half months be between coming in and really starting to abstain. It's because I really had not conceded to my innermost self that I was powerless over food. And it says in the big book that we have to do that. We need to concede to the, our innermost selves that we truly have no power over food and um, to me that's the grace. I am so grateful that I got to that point in my life because when, when I've gone through hard things of which I've gone through several in this program, I, it, it's like it's never going to get better. It's, it, there's no hope in, in eating over this. It's not going to make it any better and, and I'm very grateful for that and it's, um, it's kind of like there's nothing else to do other than work these 12 steps. and, and um, <clears throat> But the bedevilments on page 52, I had a hard time. I had admitted that I was powerless over food. I, I saw it one day, and, and I'll explain that in a minute. But I had a hard time getting it that my life was unmanageable. I was going to school up in Santa Cruz, at the University of Santa Cruz at the time I came in. I had friends. My life was very highly functioning on the outside, which I was raised that if everything on the outside, I mean, we lived in a nice neighborhood. We had education. We went on cruises. We did all the theater. We did all this thing, but there was never any mention about feelings. There was never any, um, what, they call, what a psychologist told me is called mirroring, where you kind of mirror back to your child that you're lovable and you're okay. And so my self-esteem was horrible. And that's still one of my biggest issues is, um, you know, it makes me mad. I, I see my husband, he'll respond to things and he'll just assume that he can handle something and that, um, not in an egotistical way, he has a confidence about him and a self-esteem. And my initial reaction to things is to think, I can't handle it enough, you know, and, and it's not true. I had a very successful career I through this program and, and um, it's not true, but that's, um, the, for me, that's part of the spiritual part of my disease. And, and um, But on page 52, it talks about the bedevilments. And if you're wondering if your life is unmanageable, read it in the big book. There's one paragraph. And, and it talks about, you know, that we have problems with relationships. We have no peace. And, and it talks about um, <clears throat> just being uncomfortable in our own skin. 
And, you know, I look back and I am grateful today that I had food. I'm grateful today that I have this disease because it allowed me to cope and survive. And I'm raising my two boys now and who are eight and three. And I, um, I also raised my two uh, stepchildren because their mother had died from when they were 13 and 11. I, so I've learned a lot about parenting. And in doing that, I've learned kind of some of the things that I missed. And I, I think, gosh, you know, thank, I'm so grateful that, that, um, that I had food to cope because it was an impossible, it was a very, it was an awful situation to live in. That was my environment. Now I'll tell you about me because my sister is not a compulsory. For the longest time I thought it was my environment that made me eat. I was convinced of it. And if my environment changed, then I would feel better and I wouldn't need to eat. And I attempted to change it. I left LA and went to Santa Cruz. And then when I was in Santa Cruz, I went up to San Francisco for the weekend because at age 18, it was too stressful. All the people in the dorm were getting on my nerves and I had to get away. And that's, I've kind of, as I've watched my stepkids, I've learned that's kind of an unusual um, way to feel. And um, most people feel that it's very fun. And for me, being around people has always been so stressful. And that's because my disease, I am so sensitive. And I'm so overly sensitive. And everything has to do with me. If you look at me funny, it's because of me. It's not because you didn't sleep well last night or had a fight or something with your spouse. It's because of me. And if, you know, whatever, it's always because of me. And so I definitely, because of my perceptions and because of my overeating personality um, created a lot of the pain that I experienced in my life and um, so and the 12 steps are designed for a person like me who has no ability to function um, on life's terms and I at the seminar that I was at it was a brain seminar a few weeks ago this man defined mental health and he said mental health is the ability to live to see and live in reality and I thought oh my gosh I have, I, Matt, today, I very slowly have, have been able to do that. I created a fantasy world, and that's how I survived. And, and, and a lot of the, you know, it, I sometimes look back, and I, I kind of had to mourn that, you know, mourn the, because I've watched my children who are pretty much having a healthy life and, and have a high self-esteem and things, and I think, Wow, you know, I don't have that. I didn't have that, and, and that's okay. It's made me who I am today, and I'm so grateful. I am so grateful, and I have a gift to give today to people because of what I've been through in my recovery. And um, when I came in, they told me, do not eat no matter what, and keep coming back. And that's what I did. And I, at age 16, I remember going to the doctor, and um, he told me what to do and I decided that I didn't need to do that because I knew what I needed to do to take care of myself and that's kind of how I had lived my life is that I listened to nobody, I handled it myself and coming in here was the first time I followed direction. I listened to what somebody else told me and what somebody said to do and I did it and um, I'm very grateful for that and I, I want to talk about the 12 steps because for me that's really the foundation of my recovery. I mentioned the big book and that I really identify with that and I've learned that I need to do what that book says if I want what the people in that book have, which is long-term recovery and happiness and, and the sense of usefulness and all the promises that are um, after step nine. And, and uh, I found that I, I want those things and I, I started looking around at you guys and saying, I want what they have. And, and um, I didn't believe that it could happen to me because I said, oh, that's for everybody else. My whole life I'd always felt different. I remember when I was in second grade just feeling like, oh, nobody likes me, and, and I was talking to my friend last night, and I guess that that's a normal developmental thing, but see, I didn't talk to anybody about anything. We didn't talk, and, 
And um, my eight-year-old comes home sometimes, and he was telling me how nobody likes him the other day. And I was able to talk to him and help him to see that his perception was a little bit off. And, um, you know, as my stepchildren were going through their teen years, they would talk to me about stuff, and I was able to talk to about things and stuff. And that's what you guys have given me. I'm able to talk to you now about my perceptions, because my perceptions, my... Let me tell you what happened. I came to the hotel, and they bumped us to the other hotel. My first thought, I haven't told this to anybody yet. You're going to laugh. My first thought, because I don't... I, I, I just have accepted... Today I accept that I have this disease, and it's physical, and it's mental, and it's spiritual. And my reactions to things, my initial reaction still is sometimes kind of crazy. But I've learned to not act on that, and I've learned where, that I have 12 steps, so I can talk to you. My first reaction is, what did I do wrong? Why don't they like me? Why did they bump me? You know, that was my first, re- and my second reaction was, oh well, God has a plan, and God's plans are always better than mine, and I don't, even if I don't understand it. And um, so now I'm going to talk about the, the 12 steps, but my eating got really bad when I was um, <clears throat> in my adolescence, and um, I just, it just got worse. They say it's a progressive disease, and I experienced that. I would, you know, eat my meal, and then I'd go and get another meal at McDonald's. I mean, this was when I was 13, you know, and then I would, you know, eat a pack of cookies, and then I ended up eating foods I didn't like. Um, I didn't try a lot of diet programs uh, because I could do it myself. I could handle it and figure it out myself, and also because of my age, I think. And um, But um, I did enough different things to realize that, that I couldn't make it better. And, and that weekend that I went away to San Francisco, I decided that I was going to, I always tried to control my food. You know, they talk in the big book about, you know, changing, only drinking beer or whatever. Well, I decided I was away for the weekend from all this stress of my environment that caused me to eat and that I was going to um, just buy this, you know, some eggs and some really healthy food and I was going to lose weight that weekend. And then I went down to Fisherman's Wharf and, and you know, they have all the, the uh, this was, you know, 26 years ago when they had, so I had to go, so I go to the burger place or the pizza place. So I went to the burger place and I thought, well, you know, you deserve the pizza too. So then I went to the pizza place and then I said, I'm going to go home, and I'm only going to, you know, have those eggs for dinner, and that's going to be it. And then I passed the cookie place, and I found a reason to go in there. And so one thought would be, you know, you're going to go home, and you're going to eat this controlled food you bought, and then the next thing is I'd walk into some other eating establishment. And then finally, then I went back to the cookie thing and got more cookies. Then I walked home and said, okay, that's it. I'm not going to eat that food, you know, and I ate it all, and I got it. That's when I got it in my innermost self that I, because there was nobody else to blame. It was me. And in my best, my best got me eating all weekend long. And um, I'm grateful for that. And, and higher power had already put a woman, you know, that was heavy and was eating like a hard-boiled egg. And people on diets always um, appealed to me. So I'd say, I asked her and she had told me that away. And, and um in Santa Cruz at the time, they had three meetings a week. And um, so I showed up. And... Uh, um, I was mad. I thought it was your fault. My eating got worse after I started going. I tried to abstain, and on my 18th birthday, I had some alcohol in on the dorms and all that, and, and I um, overate on the cake. Alcohol is not my thing. It really is food. Um, and um, I just, I really, um, it realized my food was out of control, but I thought that by coming to OA, you guys would help me to control my food. So it took me four and a half months. And let me tell you, I like this city because this was where I started my first day of abstinence, March 27, 1978. I was coming here with my boyfriend, 
and I didn't want him to see me overeating, so I followed the grace sheet for that day. And I've been abstaining ever since. So you never know when the miracle's going to happen. My motive, and you know what? Higher power knows who each of us are and what we need. He knows I'm a people pleaser, and I care too much about what you think and about how I look. And so um, he knows that that would be a motivator for me, you know. And um, But I kept on, it, it, it worked. And so we never know when the miracle is going to happen. And um, so I had realized I was powerless over food. I didn't get it that my life was unmanageable, though, because I was getting good grades. I was, nobody was unhappy with me. I had friends. After a year and a half in the program, I fell apart. See, I had learned, besides food, I had learned how to just shut down. I had, my heart had just hardened. I had just lived up here. There was no feelings, and, and um, unless they were kind of that, that angst feeling that I used to have. But there's no true feelings. Um, and uh, I had just shut down, and after a year and a half, I couldn't cope anymore. I couldn't show up to classes. I don't know if you'd call it a nervous breakdown or what, but I, I, my parents came up and from to Santa Cruz and brought me back down to L.A., and, and I, um, they only had three meetings a week up there, and I immersed myself in meetings and, and et cetera, and I'm grateful for that because, for me, um, I had to start my life all over again. They say that we have to be, it doesn't mean we have to throw out all of our old ideas, we just have to be willing. And they told me here that if I wanted to continue to recover, I had to be willing to change. And it meant all kinds of different things. In the beginning, it meant changing what I ate. You know, um, I, somebody mentioned yesterday about getting married in the program. I too got married in the program. And no, I did not eat my wedding cake. I let him pick what kind of cake he wanted because I knew I wasn't going to eat it. And, and that's a gift. And I didn't care. See, today I don't eat sugar. I, um, I haven't eaten it all in my years of recovery, and I don't want sugar. I don't, I don't think about food all day long. And my relationship to food has been restored to sanity, and I'm so grateful for that. I, can make, I make choices today on what my body needs. I, um, I started doing 100-mile bike rides in the program, and, and um, when you do a 100-mile bike ride, you need to eat a lot more than when you are sick in bed and, or just doing a day of no exercise, you know. So I've learned... To me, the restoration to sanity is that I eat today based on what my body needs. I don't eat just because I feel like eating or because I have that compulsion to eat that I couldn't control. I eat what my body needs. And, and I'm grateful for that freedom. And I don't want to eat foods that aren't good for me, you know. Um, and, and that's a freedom because I like myself and I care about myself today and, and have learned to take responsibility. And um, But after a year and a half in the program, I started, I really got it that my life was unmanageable by me. And so after that, it's like, okay, then what's going to happen? Okay, so the next step is come to believe a power greater than me could restore me to sanity. Well, I had a big problem with trust. I didn't trust anybody because nobody had ever taken care of me and people had let me down and I didn't feel like there was anything. I had not been raised in a religious home per se. And what you guys taught me to do was pray and ask God to be, you know, it says in step two and the 12 and 12, all we have to do is be willing and have an open mind and be honest. And so I said, okay, I can be willing. You know, I couldn't even control my food. I was eating chocolate. I don't even like chocolate. And, and doing things that, that, that I just thought weren't good things to do. And, you know, I was going to Al-Anon and I was the hospitality person and I went and got this thing of donuts and I ate them all before I even showed up to the meeting. You know, and then my friend took me to take me and she said, how are you? I said, fine. You know, and it's like my life was pretty unmanageable and my thinking 
wasn't too effective until I said, maybe, just maybe, there is a power bigger than me that could help me. And in the beginning, it was these meetings, it was my sponsor, it was um, just something outside of me that could help me. And today I have, um, I started saying the prayer, God, please reveal yourself to me. And I did little, I did footwork, and, and uh, today I have a very, the biggest gift this program has given me is my higher power. You know, when we leave these meetings, we have to go home. When we go to bed, even if we're in bed with a spouse or somebody else, we have to live in here. And my higher power is the only thing that can get in there with me and help me to be comfortable. And I've been through a lot. I, I lost my father four years ago. I don't know why I'm crying about that. I told my friend that I had feelings. He, we used to come here twice a year, and he was truly one of my best friends. And I always say, if it weren't for my dad, in no way I wouldn't have made it. Because eventually he recovered from his mental health, and and was truly, he was the nurturer and really, um, really an awesome, very unusually awesome man. And um, I went through his death, um, abstaining, and I got a bachelor's degree in French and a master's degree in computer science, abstaining. I got married. I broke up with a, a true, true love um, of three and a half years because it um, wasn't going to work between us um, through this program. And um, I've gone through two pregnancies and the delivery of both of my children and six miscarriages in between. I've gone through a lot of good things and a lot of hard things in this program. And, and it's still the same thing. You know, if we just keep on... Somebody told me, my dear buddy Barb told me this years ago, she said, we don't... We have to practice this program. Practice, practice, practice. You know, we don't talk about it. We don't read about it. We practice it. You know, and and I and so that and I, I that helps me a lot because I'm a thinker. My my intelligence has been a gift in my life, but it often could be to my detriment. And um, and but it taught me when it comes to my life. My intelligence is good when it comes to computers, but it's not good when it comes to trying to manage my life and figure things out. And you know what? Today I don't have to. We were in a situation last night, and I thought, what are we going to do? You know, and I thought, and I prayed right there on the spot. And I said, higher power, please show me an intuitive thought or decision, because it tells me to do that in the big book. And, And it worked out. And I don't have to worry and fret and feel like I've got to take care of everything. I always felt like I had to handle everything. And I've come to find out I have a power bigger than me that will take care of things for me when I decide to. I learned that my higher power is a gentleman, and and I do choose to call him God. And and, um, he waits until I ask. And um, but I've learned here when I haven't been willing to do what it says. It says we balk, we balk at working this. Who wants to to reduce the ego? I just found a new workshop. I just um, God's grace one more time led me to yet another way of, of working the twelve steps and. Oh, has it been an ego reducer? You know, you come around here and you think, oh, I've got this thing all under, I've got this thing happening, you know, I'm working these steps and my life's going well, and then I learn a new way. I'm thinking, oh, you know, and I'm grateful. I am grateful for the willingness to um, be humbled. And it says that we have to, our egos have to continue to be reduced and that we need to learn more about humility. And and um, and I, I'm grateful for that, that, that um, I know that, I'm on a spiritual path today, and that as long as I continue to grow spiritually, um, food will not be an issue for me. And and life, I have found that not only food, but life does not become an issue for me, too. And so the third step, I was taught that if you you haven't gone with one step, then go back to the step prior, because it means something isn't solid there. And so when I've had a problem with turning my will in my life over, which was very hard, they said, start with the little things. And I initially turned my will in my life over to Gracie. 
you know, and then I turned it over to my sponsor into meetings. And, and over time, I have learned um, how to turn, it, turn bigger things. I turned being single at age 30 was awful, um, um, all those years. And, and I turned that over, and I, I've learned to turn over. I turned over having my second child because that wasn't working too good. And, and just things that, and you know, my experience is that if I just do what they said, they keep coming back and abstain no matter what, the pain gets bad enough. And I have to do something different. And that's usually pain has often been my motivator to change and to surrender. Um, and anyway, so when I make, it, it says in the third step, all we have to do is make a decision. How the heck? I can't figure out how to eat. How can I turn my will and my life over to God? That's not what's expected of me. All I have to do is make a decision and say, okay, I'm willing to do that. Because it's like, what does that mean? I'm very logical. It's like, what does it mean to turn your will and life over to God? Well, just make a decision. Okay, I'm willing to eat their way instead of my way today. And um, the fourth and fifth step, I've always been a writer. Um, and so the fourth step for me, it was very freeing for me. Every fourth step I've taken has been very freeing to me because when I see my part in something, that means that I can do something about it. Um, and, and I like that. I, I, don't, I lived my life as a victim, and, and that's very painful to feel like everybody else has control over your happiness and et cetera. And, and I don't, I've learned that that's not true today. And, I, um, and the fifth step for me has also been a big relief. One of the biggest gifts, I, I feel like every time I share what's in my heart, I'm working a fifth step. And, and uh, with somebody here in this program, and, and I'm so grateful today. One of the biggest things that I've needed to learn to do is to express, because I kept everything in. I kept everything inside, and, and I've learned that I need to express it. I can express it through writing in the morning. I can express it to another human being. Um, I can express it to my higher power, but somehow I need to express, get out what's in me. And, and that's been really important for me in my recovery. And, and it takes that load off my shoulders. I've done a lot of writing, like with this daily journaling plus the 10 steps and stuff. And the sixth and seventh steps have also become one of my favorite steps because I don't have to change myself. God, I always felt such a set, that burden of shame, there's something wrong with me. I felt like there was something wrong with me my whole life. And I found out, yeah, you have an illness. It's physical, it's mental, and it's spiritual. And it's physical because once you start eating compulsively, you can't stop. But it's mental because your mind will always find a way to eat when it doesn't make sense. And it's spiritual because I have that hole in my gut. And unless I fill that with my higher power, eventually the insanity... I love Chapter 3 in the Big Book because it describes me in my relationship to food. If I, if I don't continue to grow spiritually, the insanity of food will come back. It tells me about Fred, who started drinking again after 25 years. It will come back. And even though I know all about this program, and, I, and that, this can happen when you're in the program, because I lived that for four and a half months, even though I'm, that mental obsession can take over. And that scares the heck out of me. I don't know about you, but it scares me, because it tells me I have no control. I, I mean, even though I've been in this program 25 years, I still have no control. My mind will find a reason. And... and that's just how this disease works. So it keeps me on my toes spiritually. And, and when I'm not willing, I pray. And I really, the other thing that I believe has, has allowed me to continue to abstain, I really believe that my higher power wants me to abstain. It's going to do whatever it takes um, to, to have that happen. You know, and all I have to do is ask. 
and say, please give me the willingness, I'm not willing. Please give me the strength, I don't have it. And to show up, you know, when I don't feel like showing up. You know, there's times I've been ecstatic about this program, and there's times that it's felt like a pain to have to deal with it. And if I just do it anyway, just do it anyway, like he says. And um, in the eighth and ninth steps, I had always been such a good little girl that when I made the eighth and ninth, eighth and ninth steps to my family, they said, what did you do? You didn't do anything. You know, when I think, I mean, there's a lot of people in my family, obviously. Um, you know, but the point was is that I had to, to do it. And it's hard. I, I do not like having to admit when I'm wrong, you know. Um, I just have that thing where I just want to be right, you know. But um, I have learned I can be right or I can be comfortable. And today I would much rather be comfortable in my own skin. And um, the 10th step frees me. You know, all of these steps free me. They free me from the bondage to self. I didn't know that I was my problem. I really believed that my problem, thank you, was food. I believed my problem was you. I believed my problem was my horrible upbringing, which really wasn't so horrible. It was just from um, emotional deprivation and abuse. And, 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 uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm working that issue out right now because um, it really is important. There's a lot of people that have a lot worse than me, and that's important for this thing to get. You know, it's that self-pity thing. Oh, my gosh. You know, I've come to, what, one of the biggest gifts this program has given me is self-acceptance. I am an addict, and I have left to my own devices. I'm self-centered. And um, I, I realized in that third step, I get to ask, and it's in the Ashley, the 11th step, I get to ask every day, free me from the bonus to self. I will just automatically do what I think I should do, take care of me, etc. And I thought, I didn't, it took me a lot of years to get what selfish was because I'm one of those people that they describe where my selfishness was always, I was always very generous, always very helpful, very, you know, but it was always about me. It was always with expectations so that you would love me and that you wouldn't leave me. And uh, my biggest fear of abandonment. And, and, um, so it was never loving for fun and for free. It was always about self. And I, it says in that big book, selfishness is our number one problem. We have to be rid of it or else it will kill us. And I took me a I thought, what do you mean selfish? Selfish means that I think I know what's best for me. I, I think that I know what's best for you. I think that I know what's best for somebody I don't even know. And so um, that's what selfishness means, is playing God and thinking that I know what's best and, and relying on this thing. And so, but it also says I have no power. I have no power to get rid of that. And God, what a relief that is to me. I tried so hard to be so good. And, and uh, God's given me several gifts, so in many ways I was able to do that, but I don't have any power, you know. And I've learned that, you know what, it's not just us in these rooms. Nobody has power. I believe that God doesn't create us to have that kind of power. And um, he wants to have that power. And, and um, so all I have to do is say, please, for me. I do that every morning. Please, for me, for honest to self, you know. And I got these kids. I tell you, if you want to get, it's hard to be a parent. Oh, it's tiring. Because they're, you're on demand. You're, they're all, it's a, it's a, it's all, they get to choose, not me. You know, when I was working, I got to choose if I went to a meeting or not, but now I, you know, it's up to them, and, and it's hard, and I, I need to pray and say, give me patience, and, and free me from the bondage to self, so that I'm not always thinking about what's in it for me. And, and the 11th step for me is, is really, truly the most important step for me today. I, I, um, I rely very strongly on my higher power to give me the strength. I went from a bachelor's degree in French to a master's with a Peter Science, and you don't do that. Oh, what was it? The bachelor's was UCLA, and the master's was, was uh, USC. And if anybody, in the School of Engineering, because they're figuring out how the world works, 
They think they have it all sewed up. And so, you have a degree in what? You know, and I had the courage here to show up anyway. And um, because that was where I thought my higher power was leading me. And I had the courage. And I remember taking, going through my finals. And it was, it was hard. And, and um, I got up and I, had, I was working full time as well. And, and I didn't have a lot of time. And I got up and I did my morning prayer and meditation. And I said, I'm not going to have as much time to study. But this comes first. And I continued to practice. On my wedding day, I got up and I um, just went through my steps. And I turned over my wedding and what people thought of my wedding. And how the hotel ran my wedding. All the things. And my aunt, I, um, I, I'm just, this is a, a total um, testimony to this program. My aunt said that I, she goes to all the weddings. And uh, she's 74, and, and she said that I was one of the most calm brides she knew. And I said, it's because of what I, I just practiced. Once again, I practiced, practiced, practiced. Like my buddy taught me what you guys taught me to do. And I turned over my wedding, you know, instead of, oh, well, I want people to do, to be happy, and I don't want them to love me. And I let go of it. And, and it really, um, I had one of the best days of my life. And, you know, today in my life, and, and um, I'm present in my life today, you know, when I had my children and when I got married and, and when I go through things today, I became a grandma. My stepson had a, a baby two months ago and I was present, you know, and she's in labor and I was experiencing what I learned to experience as a grandma and that, oh my gosh, it feels like my kid, but I'm not in labor. This is awesome. I love it, you know. And, and uh, today I, I am present in my life and I experience what's going on and that's one of the greatest gifts. I didn't I was so scared to be present, it was too painful. And today it's not because um, you guys have taught me how to live and, and as long as I keep practicing that I continue to be present and um, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm just very grateful and, and I'm going through a um, how do I say this without breaking one's anonymity. Um, I'm just very sad about something today um, that, that I'm kind of experiencing this weekend. And, and I'm present. I, I felt that way last night, and I felt that way when I woke up today. And I'm so grateful to be alive today. And sometimes being alive feels good, and sometimes it doesn't. I don't believe I eat over my feelings. I eat because my spiritual condition is wacko, because I'm not willing. I'm playing God and deciding that I shouldn't feel that way. And it's not fair that I have to feel that way or go through that in life. And I'm playing God and not trusting that this is what God has me to go through so that he can develop character in me and, and, and have me become more what I'm intended to be. And I'm so grateful that I've learned a way of looking at life um, that's different and that I care about people today I care about when people suffer the other day I was driving my two kids and, and a car in the other lane started rolling and I just started crying you know I've, I've never seen a car roll like this and I'm sure I, and my, my ears were like what's wrong mom and, and I said well they didn't have seatbelts on those people just died and we said a prayer for the person and I cared I don't even know these people and I care today when I was eating I, it would have somehow been inconvenient to me that that car was rolling. It would somehow have been about me, and God, what a, you know what? A, and what are they doing that to me for? And they got that was, it slowed me down. And and uh, today, all I could think of was you know, and I was shaking. I mean, I was really it really disturbed me to watch this. And I'm so grateful I care today. My heart was so hard, and it had to be to survive, and it doesn't have to be today. And and God has turned me into um, a useful member of society. Thank you very much.